So the last time that we gathered, we took a look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. So this morning, our teaching will begin in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 20. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Matthew chapter 20. And like I said, we did study the verse, uh, the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 20 already, but since we can never get too much of the Word of God, uh, let's just go back and read verses 1 through 16 again, and then I'll start teaching with verse uh, 17. Um, but Matthew chapter 20, and I'll start reading in verse 1, and I'm just going to read all the way through here, verse 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is, it, or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last, for many are called, but few are chosen. So again, that's the verses that I taught the last time that we gathered. Just a reminder for those of you watching on the internet, all of our teachings are available on our website at aloveoutreach.com or on iTunes or SoundCloud and also available on YouTube. So if you missed the teaching that I did on verses 1 through 16, you can go back and find it on one of those medias, those uh, sites there. So, But starting in verse 17 for our teaching for today, it says, Now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Now, remember, 
Who is Jesus? He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. In Hebrews chapter 1, it states of Jesus that he was appointed heir of all things and that through him God made the worlds and that Jesus is the brightness of his glory, the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. That's what Hebrews chapter 1 tells us. So when we read here that Jesus, we see Jesus foretelling all the things that would happen to him in Jerusalem. And it's no wonder that he knew all of these things in advance simply because of who he was and is, right? So he's sitting here telling his disciples, this is what's going to happen. You see, he knew that one of his own disciples would betray him. And he knew that it would be the Jewish priest and the scribes that would condemn him to death. He knew this in advance. And that they would then turn him over to the Gentiles. They would turn him over to the, to the Romans. And the Romans would then crucify him. And that ultimately, he would rise again from the dead. And he's telling all of his disciples this. He soon will suffer many things. He will suffer with the heartache of his own friends betraying him, right? Judas would betray him. Peter would deny him three times. Jesus would suffer the pain of being unjustly accused. Nothing wrong he had done, but yet he will be crucified as if he was a criminal. He would be insulted. He would be humiliated. He would be stricken with great physical pain. They would rip out his beard. They would spit upon him, right? And yet these very disciples with whom he is now speaking along the roadside here, they will have nothing to say about what Jesus is telling them right now. We're seeing here that again, that he had pulled them aside to prepare them for what was soon to happen, and they were oblivious to it all. Matthew records here no response from the disciples based on what Jesus just told them. And if you turn over a couple books, go ahead and find Luke chapter 18. Keep this page, we're going to come back. But in Luke chapter 18, Luke is recording the same story that Matthew records. But we we will see here that Luke gives one added detail. So Luke chapter 18, verse 31. So Luke 18, 31, it says this. Then he took the 12 aside and said to them, so this is the same story, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him and the third day he will rise again. Now, verse 34 here is the added detail that we don't see in Matthew, but we see it in Luke. Luke says, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. 
So we see here that the reason that the disciples had no response to what Jesus was telling them here is because they had no clue as to what he was talking about. They were actually oblivious to the subject matter at hand. As a matter of fact, it says there that the sayings of Jesus was hidden from them. Now, that puzzled me as I was studying this, and I'm thinking, why? Well, I want to show you something here. Um, let's, let's read again what Jesus tells them, just, just to keep our minds on track here. Verse 31 again, right here in Luke. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will, ins- they will scourge him and kill him and the third day he will rise again. Now, you know what that is that Jesus tells them right there? That is the gospel message. He just gave them the message of the gospel, and they did not understand it because it was hidden from them, it says. Go ahead, and I'll I'll show you what I'm talking about here. Go ahead and mark this page and and turn uh, to... 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, let's look at verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand. Okay, so Paul's saying, I'm going to declare something to you. What I'm going to declare to you right now is the gospel. Verse 2, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So Paul's saying you have to stay the course. You have to receive this gospel and you have to keep walking in it. He says if you hold fast, right? And then in verse three, he he says this. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. In other words, here's here's the message I heard, and I've delivered it to you, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, that's the very thing that Jesus told his disciples when he pulled them aside along the roadside, right? He was going up to Jerusalem to be condemned to death, handed over to the Gentiles, the Romans, right? By the Jewish leaders, crucified, dead, buried, and rise again on the third day. It's exactly what he told them. He gave them the gospel message. And when Jesus gave this message to his disciples, they did not take it in because it was hidden from them. We're told. 
And the Bible only gives one explanation as to why the gospel is hidden from people. I'll show you what that is. Go ahead and turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four, and we'll start reading in verse three. It says, so second Corinthians four, three, but even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, right? It is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So, you see, this might be hard to comprehend, but those disciples of Jesus, even those 12, have not yet been converted. Satan, the God of this world, was still blinding their minds even though they were following Jesus around physically and going where he was going and walking right alongside of him, when he pulled them aside and told them the gospel, they didn't get it, right? Go ahead and turn back now to Matthew 20, if you kept that page marked, Matthew chapter 20, right? But these disciples of Jesus, like I said, even though they're following him around because God appointed them to this and Jesus chose them, They still had not yet come to the place of being born again themselves of the Spirit. The gospel has not yet penetrated their hearts, right? Let's look at what happens next here in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. This will give you an indication of they're really not in tune with things yet. Because verse 20 goes on and says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. So these are two of the disciples, James and John, that are following Jesus around, okay? And their mother comes and kneels down before Jesus with the two sons, and he, and he, said, and he said to her in verse 21, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So the two guys are standing right there, the two sons. He says this to them. They said to him, we are able. So again, these disciples of Jesus are still in many ways clueless. They've got mommy coming to Jesus on their behalf, trying to get them a position of power, you know, for them, right? They still think that Jesus is setting up some sort of an earthly kingdom. They think that's what he's going to do. He's going to set up some earthly kingdom, right? They think that he's going to to be some all-powerful worldly leader, but they are thinking that it's going to be in an earthly sense, right? They are right at this point in time oblivious to the gospel message that Jesus just gave them, oblivious to the real reason why he came to the earth. 
He came to die. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? To die for the sin of the world, to be crucified, dead and buried, and to rise again from the dead. These disciples, again, they're not yet understanding all of the tribulation that Jesus will have to go through. And then all the tribulation that lies ahead for them as well. They're not yet getting it. Their eyes are still blinded by what? By the things of this world, power, money, food, all of these things that they want. Hey, I want power. Hey, mom, you know, you can go talk to Jesus for us. You know, we want power. We want something here. Yeah, that'd be good. I'll go talk to him for you. Yeah, you come with me. So they're still seeking the things of this world. They don't know, right? They're still seeking the fame and the prestige and all the world has to offer. How many people today are still blinded by the attractions of this world, right? Are you blinded by it? Am I blinded by it? Are we allowing ourselves to be caught up in the things that this life has to offer? And are we possibly still blind to the things of God? These disciples were not yet ready to come to the concept of dying to themselves. They were not yet thinking about what? Taking up the cross and following after you? What? Really? Are are you ready for that? Have you truly come to that place in your own life? Right? Could it be that you're missing out on the power of God even though you say you're following Jesus? Can you be blinded by this world as these disciples were? Blinded to the truth of the gospel? Because what is the power of God? Romans 1.16 says, Paul, the apostle said in Romans 1.16, he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, of Christ for it, the gospel, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So for the Jew and the Gentile, for all the world, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And it's what Satan wants to hide from you, wants to hide from all of us. He wants to hide the power of the gospel. He wants people to be blind to the fact that you must come to Jesus. You must die to yourself. You must stop seeking the things of the world. And you must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's supposed to be our priority. Jesus says, take no thought for tomorrow. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? God knows you have need of things but seek first the kingdom of God. Don't be of this world. Living righteously and holy in this present age is what we should be doing. The disciples of Jesus, as we read here, were still self-focused in many ways, blinded to the light of the gospel not willing yet to die to themselves, not willing yet to die to their earthly desires and the things they wanted. 
You see, until one is converted, until one is born again, they never fully understand the power of the gospel because they're not led by the Spirit of God. They're led by this world still and the desires of their own flesh and their carnal mind, right? Because you can't be born again until you first die. See, being born again requires death to the old you. Right? And if anyone is in Christ, Scripture tells us they are a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. Right? This is why a person that comes to Jesus is then baptized, symbolizing that they're dead to their old ways and that they're rising again to a new life in Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are several recordings in the Bible where the disciples heard this message of the gospel and did not understand it. I'm not going to go through all those, but Mark chapter 9, uh, Matthew chapter 17, Luke chapter 9, and Matthew chapter 16, Jesus presents the gospel to them, and they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. It was hidden from them because they had not yet been converted. They had not yet come to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that that was going to happen in their lives. As we read on in the Bible, we know that happened. But they were not there. They were just followers of Jesus. But they weren't even fully committed followers of Jesus in their hearts in many ways. When you think of what Peter did, aren't you one of his followers? No. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure you're one of his followers. No. Aren't you one of his? No. Right? He hadn't yet been born of the Spirit. And you see, in the gospel message today and in gospel preaching in many ways today, the power of the Spirit, being born of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, is left out. It's left out. It's just, oh, just believe in Jesus. Just come down this aisle, just say, do you believe in Jesus? Yep, I believe in that. There you go, you're saved, now go ahead. And then people just go back clueless and powerless and seeking the power of the world. Hey, how can I get money? How can I get fame? How can I get wealth? How can I get all these things? So the church today caters to that in many ways and says, well, here, you know, we got some financial classes at our church. Come take them. That's how you can get wealthy and that's how you can get rich. Oh yeah, you know, well, if you want to be healthy, just do this, just say that, just do this, that. It's not what the gospel's about. It's not what life, it's not what life in Christ is about. It's not about this temporary world. It's about where we're going. And in, in, in this world, we do have problems. We do have tribulation. We do have things that we go through, right? So as we continue on in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 23, so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my Father. We know that the disciples will. We know that the foundation of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem described in Revelations, it says that it has on that city, on the foundation of that city, it has the name of the 12 apostles. Okay, So we know that they will rule, but we don't know who's going to be seated right at, seated right at Jesus' right hand and Jesus' at left hand. Jesus said, I don't even know. That's up to the Father. 
That's not for me to decide. Okay? But we know that that will happen. But the baptism that Jesus was baptized with was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus, the Spirit descended upon him, and he was baptized with the Spirit, and he told his disciples to go into Jerusalem and wait, and they would be baptized with that too. So he tells these two disciples and their mom, this is what's going to happen. You will be baptized with that as well. Right? We know that's going to happen on the day of Pentecost, and we can read about that in Acts chapter 2. And then everything will change for those disciples. Then they will be born again. Then they will go out and they will truly have their eyes open, and they're not seeking the world anymore. They're actually going to give up everything in the world. And it tells us in Acts that they gave, they sold everything they had. And they gave it all for the Lord and they went out preaching the gospel. Now they're no longer getting their moms to come and say, hey, can I have a position of power? They're saying, I don't want it. I'm dead to me because they've been born of the spirit of God. Right? But that hadn't happened yet as we're reading this part of Matthew. The gospel was hidden from them. They were still blinded by the world, still seeking the things of the world. Then, but the other disciples are just like them. Because look at verse 24, and when the 10 heard, so the other 10 heard, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers, James and John, right? So, so the other 10 disciples of Jesus were upset, and they were probably angry in a jealous manner. Hey, look at these guys trying to gain advantage, trying to cut in front of us. Maybe Peter's saying, no, that's my spot. I'm on the right hand, right? And maybe one of the other ones said, well, I'm on the left hand. You know, that's going to be my spot, right? But they're upset about this. But what does Jesus do? He tries to explain them. He tries to teach to them because he's loving and kind, just like he is in our lives. And he still teaches us things, doesn't he? He's still causing us to grow. And we still struggle with things. And we still stumble. And we still find ourselves thinking the wrong way and not trusting him but he's given us his spirit and we need to yield to the spirit. That's why the scripture says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we need to fix our eyes on being spiritually minded by fixing our eyes on Jesus because we have the mind of Christ when we do. So Jesus calls in verse 25, he calls them to himself and he said, you know that Rulers of the Gentiles. So he's going to give them an example of what the world's like, right? You know that rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Remember, this is coming on the heels of these two guys wanting a position of power. Jesus said, no, this isn't the way of the kingdom of God. Just verse 28, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So just like that, that's how you're supposed to be. Right? You got it all wrong. The ways of this world are not the ways of the kingdom of God, Jesus is telling them. To be great, the Lord wants you to become less. For for the born-again, spirit-filled believer, gaining an advantage 
in the world is not the way of the Lord. Jesus came to serve, and we too are to live this life as servants, not seeking to serve ourselves, to buy, to sell, to get gain, right? But rather seeking to serve the Lord by being a servant to others. That's what Jesus did. These disciples will one day get it, but not until they're baptized by the Holy Spirit themselves. And we need to be careful with some of the doctrines of today, of today's Christianity, right? Because today's Christianity is is in many ways, unfortunately, very worldly, very self-seeking. It's all about gaining all of the advantage in this life, health and wealth, right? Getting all that you can. It's not about dying to yourself and becoming less, which is what the gospel is about, which is what Jesus preached, right? Remember the attitude of John the Baptist? He said of Jesus that he must increase and I must decrease. And that's exactly what happened in the life of John the Baptist. He ended up in prison. He ended up beheaded. But yet he came and he served the Lord by preparing the way for him by preparing the way for him. And Jesus went on to say, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Right? Let's continue on in the story here in Matthew chapter 20. Sometimes when I get like halfway through some some of my verses, I just want to say, okay, let's just stop here because we really should take in everything we just talked about. We really should, and those of you that watch my video can hit pause and study deeper on what we just talked about. But we're going to go ahead in this teaching and and kind of move on now. Verse 29. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Now let's pause right there for a few moments because I want to point out something to you about these two blind men here. Well, and one thing is they are desperate. This is their one opportunity. Here comes Jesus passing by and they're crying out, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. The crowd is telling them to be quiet, but they want to be able to see. They want their sight. And they know that the one that can open their eyes is Jesus. How desperate are you today? How badly do you want to have what Jesus can give to you today? What Jesus can offer you? Are you desperate enough to die to all that you hold dear in the world? To let it all go? Do you want the power of Christ, the power of the gospel in your life? The power of the resurrection? Are you willing to seize the opportunity when the Word of God is presenting it to you like the Word of God is doing today? Are you willing to accept 
the message of the gospel in your heart today and be dead to you and alive and and made new in Christ Jesus, then you need to seize the day because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you are to die to yourself. Stop seeking the prestige, the power, the things of this world, and give your life over to the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. When your heart is truly desperate for your eyes to be opened like these two blind men, but I'm talking about a matter of your heart right now. When your heart is truly desperate for your eyes to be opened, Jesus will stand still and take notice, but only when you're desperate enough and you're willing to cry out to him. No matter what others are saying around you, the people around you may be telling, hey, just be quiet. Don't seek the Lord. I had people in my life like that when I came to the Lord. Oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't give your life to the Lord. I can help you with your problem. I had someone in my life that actually did that. No, 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 don't do that. You know, don't go there. The crowd was telling these two blind men here, be quiet. Don't cry out to the Lord. All right? People around you may be hindering you from calling out to Jesus and having your spiritually blind eyes opened to the light of the gospel, the power of the gospel. It could be your religion that is blinding you. It could be your chasing after money. It could be your chasing after the things of this world. It could be you wanting life the way you want it, and it's hindering you from calling out to the Lord and dying to yourself. But what did Jesus do here? Like I said, he stood still. He stopped in his tracks. It says in verse 32, so Jesus stood still. They're calling out for mercy. He stands still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. So after their eyes were open, what did they do? They became followers of Jesus. Then, as you truly become, and I do emphasize truly become a follower of Jesus, talking about a born-again follower of Jesus, only then will your eyes be opened. Just like the gospel message was hidden to his disciples. They couldn't see it. Only then will you understand the true meaning of the gospel when you're born of the Spirit. Only then will you drop your selfish ways of living and truly become a servant. And you realize it's not about me. It's not about what I gain. It's about what I serve the Lord in, right? When your eyes are open, you will find that you are now seeking first the kingdom of God as a priority in your life and not the kingdoms of this world like the two disciples with their mom wanted. Maybe you've been claiming to be a follower of Jesus, but maybe you haven't truly and completely surrendered your heart to him. 
Maybe you thought that coming to Jesus was all going to be about having a good life. Maybe you're buying that gospel today. Maybe you're buying that gospel of prosperity and good health and prestige and your best life now and all that kind of stuff that's not found in the true gospel message or in the teachings of Jesus. Maybe you've bought into that false gospel and not the one that Jesus and ultimately his apostles went on to teach. Or maybe you've never come to Jesus at all and you're hearing a message like this for the first time. Whatever the case may be, what will you do today with this Bible teaching and what is being pointed out here in the scriptures? What you've heard today, what are you going to do with it? Don't let your selfish desires for this world keep you from being born again of the Spirit. Don't let your blind eyes keep you in darkness today. Call out to Jesus like these two blind men did in a sincere and a desperate way. They weren't going to listen to the crowd around them telling them, shut up, be quiet. They They didn't care anymore. They were done with this blindness. Are you done with your blindness Right? Because when you're done and you're truly desperate and you call out to him for mercy from a pure, true heart, what does he do? He'll stop what he's doing. He'll stand still. And he'll hear you. And he'll give you what you desire. What do you desire from me? The Lord said that he's too blind, man. And he's saying that to you today. Right? What do you desire of me? And if you desperately cry out to him, He's going to stop and stand still and take notice because it's why he came in the first place, to seek and to save that which was lost. And God is not willing, the scripture says, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So as you're hearing this message today, are you desperate? Have you come to the end of yourself? Well, now's the time to come to Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, we thank you for a sweet time of fellowship. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you've not left us alone. You've not left us comfortless, just as you said you would, Jesus. You would not leave us alone comfortless. You've given us of your Holy Spirit. We have these these words here in the pages of our Bible that holy men of God wrote down, led by your spirit. We have the word of God. We can read it. We can grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you and in our understanding of you. And we thank you, God, for that. And I pray, God, that we will take seriously what we read in your word and that we will not be forgetful hearers, but that we would be doers of your word. Lord, I pray that you will pour out your spirit afresh upon us, anew. Lord, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us when we turn our eyes away from you and we fix our eyes on the things of this world. And when we do worry, this world screams at us loudly, Lord. It's like the crowd telling these men to be quiet. The world and the God of this age who wants us blinded to you, 
he screams at us and he brings us doubt and fear and worry and confusion and we lose our sound mind and we lose our peace, God. But we pray that your spirit would empower us today and I pray for all those that are listening to this audio, all of those that are watching this video, Lord, that they would truly surrender their hearts to you, that I would truly completely surrender all to you, that all of us will, Lord, that we will fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you, God, for your great love for this world, God, in so loving the world that you gave your only begotten Son, Jesus King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but while you tarry, let your will be done in all of our hearts and minds. We thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.